This is the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agribusiness. If you're curious about innovations in ag tech, rural entrepreneurship, ag sustainability, or food security, this is the show for you. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hammerich, and I get the privilege of being your host as we explore stories of ag innovation. Thanks especially to some new members of the FOA community, Barney Debnam, Tanner Reed, and Shane Thomas. Really excited about the type of people who are joining this community. You should look up those three guys on LinkedIn to see the impressive work all three of them are doing. We've started hosting pitch events. We had our first one last week and the table for 10 social hours. So if you are interested in any of that and want to join those guys, head over to patreon.com forward slash agriculture. Now, I like to keep the show pretty optimistic about the future of agriculture. It's certainly a central theme on the show. But I also don't want to ever let my optimism cause me to avoid real problems that exist in the industry. And we do have some real struggles in this business, and it's important to talk about those as well as what we're excited about for the future. So today's episode is about how the veterinary profession is taking a toll on our veterinarians' mental health. Specifically, it's about a veterinary well-being study that reveals some data behind how much some veterinarians are struggling and why. Merck Animal Health, along with the AVMA, which is the American Veterinary Medical Association, conducted the study. And their head of veterinary and consumer affairs, Dr. Judson Vasconcelos, is on the show with me here today. Now, full disclosure, I created this episode for Merck Animal Health's new podcast called Caring for Animals and Creating Trust. However, I did want to share it on this feed as well, because not only do I think it's a serious issue that should be addressed, but it's also a personal one for me. You see, my wife, Jamie, earned her Doctor of Veterinary Medicine from Texas A&M in 2010, and over seven years in practice, she struggled with many of the issues that we're going to be speaking about here on the show. So I asked her if she'd join me on the podcast for the first time. It took her over 200 episodes, but to talk about her experiences before we dive into our featured guests and discuss the report itself. So she's here. She said yes. Jamie, thanks so much for doing this. You're welcome. You're very welcome. It's very strange being on this side of the microphone instead of listening and editing and all that other stuff that we do. Yeah, so we do we do multiple podcasts and Jamie does a lot of the editing. And so she is stuck in podcast land all the time, but never on this side. So I'm excited for this. Sorry we had to do it on relatively dark subject matter, but uh, I think it's an important one. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so maybe set this thing up for us here. Everybody wants to be a vet when they're a kid. You get to work with animals. You get to make a bunch of money. You get to drive around in a truck with one of those cool vet beds. Why is well-being such an issue here? You know, I think it's a common misconception that especially small animal vets get to play with puppies and kittens all day and it's all sunshine and roses. There's a lot more stressful and harder times involved in veterinary medicine. Using small animal as an example, you'll be booked pretty well solid with appointments. And in the first room, you have, you'll you be playing ophthalmologist with a dog and you're discussing you know, how the eye works and what we need to do to treat it and how 
the owner is going to treat it at home. And then within a half hour, you have to have written the records, explained all the medications and how to give them and moved on to the next room where now you are dealing with a puppy. So now you're more like the pediatrician and you've got to talk about vaccine schedules and training and spaying and neutering. And then, you know, your next appointment will be 10 minutes early. And so now you're running a little behind and you've got to run into that room. And this room is you're now counseling a family on quality of life with their best friend who they've had forever. And the kids are crying and it just it wears on your soul and you are constantly having to wear all these hats. And, you know, to get into vet school, you have to have excelled in college because it's very competitive and grades are are very important for the admission process. And so you've got a lot of people that are type A personalities, super perfectionists that are now being asked to wear a dozen or more hats from surgeon, orthopedic specialist, ophthalmologist, pediatrician, endocrinologist, internal medicine person. I mean, there's just so many different facets that you're supposed to be an expert in. And you have to be able to switch from one hat to the next very quickly. And then on top of it, you are a counselor and you are helping people go through financial decisions and how are they going to afford it and what can you do to help them out. And all the while, all you want to do is help this pet and give them everything you have, but you're limited by finances. And that's very real world. I don't think there's a vet alive who would hold that against somebody. But at the same time, we also want to offer the best care to our patients. And so it really wears on your soul and just breaks your heart. I can't tell you how many times I have cried after owners have left the room with euthanasias because when we say we treat these pets like they're our own, we really do. And then on the large animal side, you know, there's on call. So you've got all that during the day and then you're on call at night and the quality of life and the work-life balance is just very, very difficult to maintain without becoming completely worn out and exhausted. A term that gets thrown around a lot is compassion fatigue, and I definitely can relate to that. Thank you for sharing all that. Well, I want to come back at the at the end of the show, back with you, and maybe talk about you know what you think we can do about this. But ultimately, maybe share with the audience because I know sort of how the story ends. You know, what did that do to you of seven years of going through exactly what you just described? At first, I assumed it was because I was a new grad and I needed to get more experience. And then I thought it was the environment I was in. And so I actually, I've been in an equine clinic. I've been in a rural mixed animal clinic. I've been in two different small animal clinics. So I really tried to give the industry a chance in general practice by exploring different facets of it. Ultimately, <laughs> all of those clinics were wonderful, and the issue was me, that, that I was just feeling so much stress and so much anxiety about everything. Am I being perfect? Am I doing everything for everyone? And it was, it was quickly leaning towards burnout, which was not fair to me or my family, who had to sacrifice a lot. And so ultimately, many factors came together, but decided to leave veterinary medicine and take a short break, which has now turned into three years. And as much as I miss helping people and helping animals, I don't miss the stress and the anxiety. Thank you very much for being so honest. I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. Of course. 
Well, we're going to move into the show here now with Dr. Judson Vasconcelos. He is the head of the veterinary consumer affairs team at Merck, like I mentioned earlier. Originally from West Central Brazil, Judson has led the veterinary and consumer affairs team for the past four years. As a veterinarian by training himself, he connects deeply with his colleagues that are struggling in this demanding profession. I'm going to drop you into the conversation here where Judson is giving some of the background on why do this veterinary well-being study. So we started to notice that there were more concerns about stress, well-being, mental health in general. And we started to see some data, some journal articles coming up here and there with some trends about suicide and about different problems facing the profession. So a few years ago, we decided to take a look into that, and we did our first Merck Animal Health Veterinary Wellbeing Study a few years ago, in which we decided that it was a good way to start looking at some of these trends and identify ways to help the profession. We did that study, we identified a lot of trends, and then we decided that we would be doing that study every couple years to be able to have a very broad view of the trends and and how are they changing. And so we decided to do that study again last year. And then we launched this year our second Merck Animal Health Veterinary Wellbeing Study. And uh, the main objectives of these studies is really to monitor well-being and mental health of U.S. veterinarians in general, right? We want to have a good idea of what's going on with veterinarians based on the trends that we've seen in the past. We want to have a good understanding of well-being and where they are from a mental health standpoint. We want to benchmark some of those data with some of the findings from other scientists and even with findings from uh, physicians, from human medicine data to see if some of the burnout data is comparable to the physician's data and some of the other data. So we could overall examine these uh, very important issues in depth. And last but not least, we really wanted to evaluate potential solutions and come up with ideas and thoughts as far as how we can help the veterinary profession with resources and tools. So for that, we did a very large study the first time and the second, the second time as well. We sent out a survey for the, the second study to over 20,000 veterinarians that were with uh, information that was provided to us with an important partnership for this study that was with AVMA. So AVMA has been a strong partner, the American Veterinary Medical Association. They provided us the email addresses and they collaborated with us all the way throughout the study. And then with the help of Bracky Consulting that organized the, the survey and helped us throughout the statistical analysis and has been helping us with the organization execution of the study and even with the promotion of the study, we were able to get almost 3,000 answers from that survey. And with that, we were able to get a pretty good understanding of what's been going on in the veterinary profession with the data that we were able to get. But to answer your question, initially, the trends, we started to hear about them over the years, different articles, different informally by talking to customers. And then we thought it would be a good move forward for us to do some studies in the space. As they collected, compiled, and analyzed the results of the study, three main concerns from the data started to emerge. The three main issues that we found were the three S's, 
The first S is the stress level of veterinarians. The second one is student debt. The third one is the suicide rate. Those are the three main concerns in the veterinary profession today. They're concerned about those more than anything else. Obviously, there are other things such as the ability to retire, customers' willingness to pay for vet care is declining. Cyberbullying was actually surprisingly not one of the top concerns. So it's the three main ones are the three S's that stress, student debt, and suicide rate are the three main concerns the veterinarians have that we identified in the survey. Well, let's zoom in to each of these three factors that we're calling the three S's, starting with one I know all of us can relate to, at least on some level, stress. That's an ongoing conversation, right? What are the main factors impacting stress? There are a lot of things that I think there's a high expectation of the customer. Also, poor work-life balance also impacts the stress. I think student debt also creates a lot of stress. I think there's just a poor stress management plan in general creates stress. Just dealing with death, right? I mean, just dealing with customers that are unable to pay. It's a multifactorial problem as far as stress. So how do you deal with that stress? I think some of the things that we looked at is we highly encourage people to have a stress management plan. The data shows that the ones that do have a stress management plan and are able to have a better work-life balance or spend time with family or do sports or exercise and socialize and, and they are less likely to be stressed and they're more likely to be flourishing and more likely to be in a better mental health status without it. And uh, we have a number of resources that we put together in our website. It's called vetwellbeing.com. So we highly encourage people to look into the resources that we have at vetwellbeing.com. We are going to find a lot of resources as far as how to manage stress. If you're interested in a stress management plan, there is a template available at the website he mentioned, vetwellbeing.com which we've also linked for you here in the show notes. One stress-related data point that I think will surprise a lot of people is how many veterinarians would not recommend the profession to others. Even the ones who are in the profession today and they are practicing, if you ask them if they recommend a career in veterinary medicine, we get that for 52% of the veterinarians surveyed do not recommend the profession. So if you ask them about what the contribution they're making as a profession today, and they say, you know, I'm invested in my work and I take pride in doing a good job, or my work makes a positive contribution to other people's lives, and those are ranked higher as far as job satisfaction, but still 52% do not recommend the profession. So we think it's a paradox, right? Because veterinarians, they want to take the low workload and they do things to be successful and to help their customers, but they do not recommend to others because they think it's a high burden to take. And as we looked at the data and uh, we saw, we had a follow-up question. So why don't you recommend the profession? And they said, you know, the first one was debt and the second one was low pay and, and salary, but stress and difficult clients and other factors are also up there with factors that impact why they wouldn't recommend the profession. To me, that's one of the highlights of the study. It's very interesting to look at the number of veterinarians who surveyed and such a large 
percentage here of veterinarians do not recommend it to family members or friends to become a veterinarian. So uh, that's shocking to me. It is shocking. I mean, I, I think most people outside of the profession view it as a very desirable way to make a living. We need to find ways to help our veterinarians and support them with these issues, especially because of the next alarming finding, the rate of veterinarians who have considered suicide. The key finding was that if you look at veterinarians that are likely to think about suicide when compared to non-veterinarians, veterinarians are 2.7 times more likely to attempt suicide. And female veterinarians, they have higher rates of suicide ideation than males, and males are more likely to attempt suicide. And those are extremely high numbers. They're even higher than uh, in physicians. So yeah, that's a high number. I feel bad for that situation. I think, you know, that's why we're doing the best we can to try to help veterinarians with resources and things that they can be using in order to improve that. And some of the things that we identified as resources is that we encourage people to talk about it, such as mental health and well-being used to be a stigma. I think it's important that now we talk more about it and that it's in clinics, at the break rooms. It's important that there are conversations and that people don't feel like they're the only ones struggling with burnout or issues that can be leading to suicidal thoughts, right? And it's important that veterinarians be looking at resources such as insurance coverage for mental health. Is that something that's available? Is there an EAP program, employee assistance program that is in place that can help you with that? There are even today, given the current situation that we have today with limited mobility because of COVID-19, there are virtual or telebehavioral health solutions that are available out there looking at ways to help people going through difficult times. There's a website called ecounseling.com. It's e-counseling.com. There's another one called sevencups.com, the number seven, sevencups.com, or vetwellbeing.com website has some resources as well. And last but not least, we highly encourage you to always have it handy, the key phone numbers to be calling in case of crisis, right? 911 is the first one if there's a danger to yourself or others. And I've been seeing a lot of that on TV recently, I mean, because of the current situation with the pandemic. But with veterinarians as well, there's 1-800-273-TALK, Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So that's a phone number that could be used for prevention of suicide. And we highly encourage you to, to look at that. And there is even a texting service that you can text hello to 741741 and you can get access to a trained crisis counselor. So there are a lot of resources that can be helping in case of suicidal thoughts. And uh, so we want to make sure that we're saving as many lives as we can. We'll make sure to include all of those important resources in the show notes. Please share them with the vets in your life or anyone you know who may be struggling. One big external factor that could be contributing to these cases of stress and suicidal thoughts is the tremendous amount of student debt many veterinarians carry. It's a complicated issue and any real solutions are going to take a collaborative effort. Yeah, that's a hot topic in veterinary medicine today, right? It's how do we address student debt and the universities are looking into that and it's something that there's a conversation going on in the industry. 
we do have some resources we identify to help students to be able to be prepared to deal with student debt, right? And, and even veterinarians who have graduated already and have a large load of debt, we highly encourage them to engage with a financial planner because our data shows that the ones that have a financial planner have less of a stress level compared to the ones that don't have a financial planner. So that's the first one. Second would be to look for financial planning, counseling resources. So there are a number of counseling resources, financial planning resources online that if you don't have a financial planner, if you go to a number of websites and different organizations are doing a lot of in that space. So that's just a deep dive into what the resources are to find financial planners. There's a financial planner association that can be used as a resource. There's a national foundation for credit counseling that could be used as a resource. So there's a, a lot of different resources, but we do encourage that veterinarians engage with a financial planner. We've been actually having conversations as far as um, what about engaging with students as they are still in school and how can we help them to have better financial literacy so they make smarter choices as far as their finances before it gets to become a bigger issue. In a lot of conversations about mental health, not just in the vet world, you'll sometimes hear of generational differences, namely that the younger generations tend to struggle more than maybe previous ones did. What did the data show about this? I think that there is a generational factor, and I think some of our data is showing that for predictors of well-being, younger veterinarians are more impacted than the older veterinarians, I think. And like I said earlier, I think student debt is a major factor there. I think the debt accumulated has been higher than it has been in the past. And I think the pressures of the current life and just the pressure to exceed, and they're impacting work-life balance, they're impacting time with friends and family and the people are just spending more time trying to to do the best they can at work and that's definitely impacting the younger generation for sure. And one thing just to add to that is that as you look at the food animal veterinarians, we can't talk about that directly based on the data, but the highest concentration of food animal veterinarians that we have in our survey are baby boomers and they're 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 doing well and they're flourishing and but obviously, they had a different background 20 years ago, and the student debt levels were lower, and different factors. Uh, we can't really say that veterinarians today, if, as they get older, that they're going to have better well-being. But just as we look at the population of food animal veterinarians, we can see that the highest concentration of the ones doing well as food animal veterinarians are baby boomers. On that last point, Judson is referring to the fact that food animal veterinarians scored much higher across the board in well-being than companion animal vets. However, as you just heard, they are also primarily older generationally, so it's not necessarily a perfect comparison. Some better news, though, all around, the data is showing less of a stigma around mental health in the veterinary community. Yeah, I think one of the only gaps that we saw in the, the data, as we looked at the data, we saw that there was a very significant improvement in the attitude towards those with mental illness, which I mentioned earlier, they're perhaps indicating less stigma. So veterinarians are caring more towards those, those with mental health, that there was an improvement in the new study. There's more accessibility to mental health treatment, and people are feeling comfortable discussing 
mental health topics with other veterinarians. I think the challenge is that there are the veterinarians that needed mental health treatment didn't get it, right? There is a big number, I think 52% that didn't get, they were distressed and didn't get a treatment. So there's an opportunity still for people to be looking for treatments. So uh, we're here to provide resources and ways that people can be looking for treatment and resources. And I think some of the data also shows that they're still looking for useful resources and there are limited resources out there. So we're doing the best we can to come up with additional resources to be helping them. Judson and his team in veterinary and consumer affairs at Merck want to not only provide the data behind vet mental health, but as many resources as they can to help support this important profession. We recently just had a few um, Facebook live events we're partnering with AVMA on a series of webinars, and there's a lot of resources out there that we're putting out, and we're seriously looking into ways to help the veterinary profession. We're very committed to the profession. We appreciate all the work that you do. We appreciate the partnership. And if there's anything that we can do to help you more, please don't hesitate to reach out and uh, just go to vetwellbeing.com, look at our resources shoot us a note and uh, let us know if there's anything else that we can be doing to help your profession, to help the partnership that we have. Thanks so much to Judson Vasconcelos for being on the show and sharing about this important study of veterinary well-being. I decided to bring Dr. Jamie Hamrich back on the show for the outro here. I think the big thing is, you know, we heard, Jamie, your experiences at the top of the show. We heard all the data that Judson had to share with us from their veterinary well-being report, but there's still just this feeling of what can be done. Like, are we just going to talk about this and collect data on this? What do you think, like if we're really going to make an impact with this data, what types of things is it going to take to help our veterinarians? You know, that's a million dollar question. I mean, and I wish I had a precise, absolute answer that I knew would work and that would bring me back to practicing. What I think in my opinion, more than anything, is changing the culture of the practice itself generally. So talking about creating realistic expectations, not just about treatment possibilities, but also about cost and diagnostics. A lot of people like to compare veterinary medicine to human medicine, and there are a lot of overlaps, but the main differentiator, I think, is insurance. When people come in, they expect the treatment and the protocol to be similar to a human hospital where the bill comes later, insurance covers a lot of it, that kind of a thing. And that's that's just not what we see in most practices right now. So I think changing financial expectations, but also just explaining that we are seriously doing the best we can. I I am lucky enough to be part of a profession of wonderful, wonderful people who give their all to help others. And and I think if we can get this message out that a lot of vets are silently suffering and are internally miserable because they are giving every ounce of love to your pet and to you as a as a client, then hopefully we can see a shift and and the veterinary profession can get some love in return as well. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Jamie, and thank you all for listening. And shout out to Merck with their brand new podcast, Caring for Animals and Creating Trust. Check it out if you're interested in more issues along these lines and consumer-facing issues as well. I'm excited for the content we have planned over there.
Well, on this show, though, we'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast. If you like what you heard here today, I'd love to connect with you further. Go over to futureofag.com. That's futureofag.com. And let me know a good email address for you so we can keep in touch. Also, you'll be able to check out a ton of bonus content on the blog while you're there. Otherwise, make sure you're subscribed to the show so you can catch another fascinating ag innovator here next week.